Our scripture reading today is in John 15, verses 26 through 16, verse 15. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bernice. All right, let's pray. Uh, God in heaven, we thank you uh, that uh, with your son Jesus, uh, you have sent us the spirit, the advocate, uh, to teach us, uh, to uh, testify to us, uh, to expose uh, our sin and our need of the gospel, uh, and to reveal uh, you to us. And so we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would do that work. We ask that you would come and uh, do what, you, what um, Jesus said you would do uh, for us. We ask this in your triune name, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. So um, we are doing this series right now where we're looking at uh, the particular role that Holy Spirit plays in the life of the church. And you, you notice Jesus says something rather odd. Uh, in this passage. He says, it's better for you that I go because if I don't go, the advocate is not going to be able to come. Now, I can almost guarantee you, I don't know this, but I, if I'm a betting man, uh, I would say that I can pretty confidently say the disciples probably are not thinking, oh, yes, Jesus, you need to go so that the Spirit can come. Uh, at this point, the disciples are still not 100% sure what it is that these crazy things that Jesus 
is talking about. And here he is in the midst of uh, this uh, section of teaching in John uh, 14 to 17, known as the upper room discourse. So the context here is that Jesus uh, is doing a, a prolonged teaching with his disciples right around, either right before or right after the Lord's Supper uh, on the night that he is about to betray. So these are like the last words before he leaves them. Uh, so you can imagine, right, that Jesus is probably, like so many of us would, he is getting in those last remaining thoughts into the hearts of his disciples before he gets ready uh, to leave them. Uh, and from that point on, his relationship with them is going to be fundamentally different. And so what Jesus does here is he talks about the Spirit, and he, uh, without them realizing it, probably, uh, he answers three questions that would be raised in their minds. First of all, he, he, uh, he says who the Spirit is. Secondly, uh, he speaks to, to why the Spirit has to come. And then third, what it is that the Spirit uh, is going to do. And um, I'm not even going to cover everything that there is to cover. I'm just letting you know right now. You're going to be like, oh, like, I, there's so much. Uh, it packed in these verses. I had no idea. Uh, that um, I'm actually like, I need to come back and t preach just on this section of Scripture. There's so much that Jesus is saying in these uh, four chapters. So who is the Spirit? Well, the, the word that uh, was used is the word advocate. But if you have your Bible open, and I encourage you if you have a Bible open uh, to, to, to look, you're probably, depending on the translation of the Bible that you have, you're not going to see the word advocate there. Uh, so let me, let's, let's go back a word, and what you see is that the Greek word is the word paraclete. Now, I, don't, I try to stay away from saying, oh, the Greek word is this or that, but paraclete is one of those words that has worked its way into the vocabulary of the church, similar to the word logos, similar to the word koinonia. If you've grown up in the church, uh, if you've grown up or been in Christian circles, those are words that you have probably heard. You may not know what they mean, but you've probably heard those words. Uh, logos is uh, too philosophical for me to define, but it's generally translated as word. Koinonia is generally translated as community. Paraclete is translated thusly. Uh, so the NIV, the New Living, the New English translations use the word advocate. The ESV, the New American, the New King James use the word helper. Uh, the, the Holman Standard Christian Bible and the previous version of the NIV, the one that I grew up with, the NIV 84, had the word counselor. And if you want to go old school and go King James Version, it uses the word comforter. So now imagine you're reading your Bible and you come upon one of these words, right? And what happens? Depending on the word that is used the meditation of our minds and hearts moves in different directions, right? Because these words in English, while they have a lot of overlapping meaning, are really distinct words, right? They're, they're speaking to different ideas in a very real respect. And this is probably why the word paraclete has made its way uh, into English, in the, the English usage, because this word is so complex uh, it can be read in so many different ways that some have just said, forget it, I'm just going to use the word paraclete. Uh, because uh, how on earth do we capture all of these ideas with one word? We don't have an English word that 
encapsulates all of the ideas that seem to be baked into what it is that Jesus is saying when he uses this word. To make it a little bit more complicated, uh, this word only shows up five times in the entire New Testament. Four of them are in this set of teaching that Jesus does. Uh, So in this particular passage of scripture, what you see is that Jesus um, uh, uh, says that the advocate, the the paraclete, the counselor, the comforter, the helper, will comfort the disciples after he leaves them, that he will teach the disciples, that he will testify on behalf of Jesus through the disciples, that he will convict uh, the world, the disciples and the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and that he will guide the disciples into all truth, telling them the things that are to come. You can see the list there. Uh, so those are just the occurrences in the Gospel of John. But even there, right, you see like, oh my gosh, that's, the advocate is doing a lot of different things. Right? There's, there's a lot baked into what this word means. So one New Testament scholar has said that uh, the advocate is someone that can offer support wisdom, and empowerment. This is Scott McKnight. Karen Jobes, another New Testament scholar, says that that what seems to be baked into the word advocate, the word paraclete, is that the, the, the individual is uniquely capable of doing these things. So it's not just that someone is, anybody's able to do these things, but a paraclete is someone who is uniquely suited for this type of supporting, empowering wisdom offering role. Uh, And then um, we have one other kind of nuance to this. uh, And it is that the other time, the fifth time that the word shows up, it's in the book of 1 John. So right there, you know, our minds start going, okay, wait a minute. So same author is using this word, right? John uses it in the gospel. John uses it in his letter. And in 1 John, in 1 John, uh, Jesus is the paraclete, right? And then interesting, right? So for John, as an author, Jesus is the paraclete and the spirit is the paraclete. And so this is why when John 14, when Jesus says, I'm going to send you another paraclete, I'm gonna send you another advocate. Well, the, other, the reason the spirit is another advocate, another paraclete is because Jesus himself is the paraclete. Jesus himself is someone who is uniquely suited for the role of supporting, empowering, and providing wisdom for the church. Uh, And so this is who the Spirit is. The Spirit is really uh, the presence of Jesus for us. Okay? Now, why does the Spirit have to show up at all? Well, the reason that the Spirit shows up is because Jesus is leaving, right? He's preparing them. Remember, this is the night that Jesus is betrayed. This is the last night that he is with his disciples. He's talking to them. He's giving them his final words, his final wisdom. He's about to be betrayed. He's about to be tried. He's about to be crucified. In a few days, he will rise again from the dead. And he knows that on the other side of that resurrection, that his relationship with the disciples is going to be temporary and different. Temporary in that it would only be 40 days before he leaves them and different in that he was going to be resurrected now, right? We make a completely different experience for them. And this is what Jesus says. He says, 
very truly. Now, when Jesus says very truly, you know, that's like him saying like, listen to me, this is important. You got to get this. Like for real, right? It is good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the paraclete, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, what's fascinating is that in some version, some passages that talk about the paraclete, the father is sending the paraclete. In other passages, uh, the Jesus is sending the paraclete. And so, which is it? Yes, right? It's both of them, right? This is the work that the father and the son are doing together with the spirit in the same way that, that the father sent Jesus. Now Jesus and the father send the spirit, right? And so you see all of these like parallels that are happening between Jesus and Holy Spirit. And this is why Holy Spirit is not a second-rate experience. Um, some of you know that I'm a presidential history buff, so I'm, I, was reading, I am reading right now a biography on George H.W. Bush. Uh, so I, some of you are like, who is that? Like, I think I read about him in the history books. Um, nonetheless, I was alive when he was president. So, um, so George H.W. Bush is uh, running against Bob Dole, uh, in the primaries to be the Republican nominee. At the time, he was vice president of the United States. And Bob Dole crushes him in Iowa. Like, it's not even, it's not even close. Uh, and the, the Bush team is like, if we have any chance of keeping George Bush as a viable candidate, he has to win in New Hampshire. He has to win the primaries in New Hampshire. And so their strategy is, we got to get as many people to have a picture of George H.W. Bush, the vice president, as we possibly can. The logic, according to the biographer, the logic was this. People who have a picture of the vice president on their mantle are going to want to have a picture of the president on their mantle. Now, I don't know if that's good logic or not, but that was their logic. All right? The idea was, Presence. Presence. How can we get this man in the presence of as many people as we possibly can? Because if they have that presence connection, there, the theory was, they would be more likely to vote for him. Because what's better than a picture of a vice president? It's a picture of a president, right? Um, now, hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to it in a second. So Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. Now think about this. Why, why would is it better for you and me, it was better for the disciples, it's better for you and me, that Jesus is not here today? Because you, you realize, right, that Jesus is resurrected at this point. Uh, on the other side of the resurrection, he's, he can't die. So th it's theoretically possible that Jesus could have decided, you know, I'm just going to hang around earth for the rest of my life uh, and call some more people to myself. And so Jesus could be, you know, he could have a place where he's doing his teaching uh, and people are flocking to him uh, anywhere in the world. That's, it's theoretically possible that Jesus could still be around. Uh, but what would we have? What we would have is someone over there, distant, far away, a guru probably more than a guru, but, but uh, someone who's far, far away and someone who is not present with us every day of our lives, right? He would be over there somewhere else. Maybe you and I would have a picture with him. Maybe there would be an opportunity, you know, he's on a teaching tour and we would get to see him. Uh, but that's not the same 
as having his presence with you every second of every day. So what's better than a picture of Jesus on the mantle? His presence with you every day of your life. That's what the spirit is, right? So if the spirit is like Jesus, the paraclete, the one who is uniquely suited to provide you with the wisdom and support and encouragement that you need, then when Jesus says, it's better for you that I leave so that you can have my presence with you all of the time, as his disciples, we should go, huh, there's something important that Jesus recognizes about our lives. He recognizes that uh, we need the spirit in our lives. We need his, his, uh, his uh, wisdom, his empowerment, his teaching, his conviction, his help, his reminding us of the things that Jesus has taught. We need that. And that's what he provides for you. You like, just, like the Father and the Son love you so much that they didn't leave you alone. Yes, Jesus left because Jesus needed to go to heaven in order to sit on his throne. Because what do kings do after they win battles? They sit on their throne. And after Jesus wins the battle over sin and death, what does he do? He goes up to heaven. As Ephesians talks about, he takes the captives in, the, in his train. Right? Jesus goes up to heaven and he sits on his throne and he loves you so much. He's like, I'm not going to leave you alone. Don't worry. In the same way that the father sent me as a paraclete, now I'm going to send another paraclete to you. I'm going to send the spirit. So this is who he is. That's why he comes. What does he do? Oh my goodness, so much here. We're not even going to be able to scratch the surface. Uh, so uh, I'm sure many of you uh, know that uh, Tim Keller passed away this week. Uh, I don't think I can, uh, yeah, I don't think I can state the profound influence that he has had on me, uh, and I know the profound influence that he's had on this church. Uh, and I know some of you uh, had the opportunity to worship at Redeemer uh, when he was the pastor. And so I was like, I need some Tim Keller. Uh, so I, uh, I went back and I read a sermon of his on this particular passage uh, this morning, in fact. I was getting up, I was like, man, I, was like, I need... So I read a sermon of his this morning. So um, I don't remember what I'm about to say is from Tim Keller and what I'm about to say is my own thinking because my, my thinking got meshed with his this morning. Uh, this, is what Je- this is what Jesus says the Spirit is going to do. He says, when the Spirit comes, when he comes... He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Then he explains. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Kids, have you ever gone to a a restaurant and, you know, they give you those placemats? And one of the things you often see on those placemats is those little decoder games, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where you have these symbols, and each symbol corresponds to a letter, and the idea is that you've got to take each symbol to figure out what the message is. Uh, So um, the Spirit is a decoder of sorts, right? What the Spirit does is it takes the teaching of Jesus, and it decodes it 
for our hearts. And as the Spirit decodes the teaching of Jesus for our hearts, what it does is it exposes the ways in which we misunderstand sin, we misunderstand God's righteousness, and we misunderstand what the end of the story is all about. I guarantee you that if you went out right now, just right here, if this, in this room, right, that if, that if I had the opportunity really quickly to go around and say, okay, what's wrong with the world? That, I don't know what, we have 140-something people, 150 people here. We would probably have 150 different answers. Right? That we all know something is wrong, but we may not all have agreement about what exactly is wrong. But Spirit isn't just asking us to consider what's wrong with the world. He wants to bring it into our hearts. So what's wrong with me? What's wrong in my heart? And what Jesus says is that the fundamental problem that we have the fundamental thing that the Spirit is trying to do is it's to expose the fact that we don't believe in him. Right, that we need to come to a place where we recognize that sin fundamentally is a rejection of who God is, a lack of acknowledging God for who he is. This is why the first commandment is you have no other gods before me. Right, because any time that we sin, we are effectively saying There's another God, there's another thing that I value more than the God of heaven and earth. But this is really hard, right? How many of us have had a situation where uh, you've got a friend or a loved one who's sick and you're trying to convince them to go to the doctor, right? Go to the doctor, you got to go to the doctor. It's like, no, I'm not going to go to the doctor, I'm not going to go to the doctor, right? Um, and, and, And so it's hard, it can be really hard to get somebody to see the reality of their need. That's what the Spirit does. Jesus sends the Spirit, the Father sends the Spirit, in order for the Spirit to do the work that says, oh, there's something wrong with me. And, And we have all kinds of different answers. And what the Spirit does is he pulls back the layers and he pulls back the layers and he pulls back the layers until we get to the place where we go, oh, I don't actually take God at his word. I don't, I don't believe. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is, right, so then you're like, okay, well, I know what the problem is, maybe. But then if we're, if you're anything like me, then you're like, well, I can solve that problem. All right, I can fix this. And so Jesus, the next thing Jesus says is that he is going to uh, convict the world about righteousness. He said, Holy Spirit will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin because people don't believe in him. But then Holy Spirit will convict the world about righteousness because he is going to the Father where we can see him no longer. Isn't that interesting, right? He brings the ascension into this. He says, like, I'm leaving. It's good for you that I'm leaving. Remember, I'm sending you the Spirit. But I'm leaving, and this is a part of what God needs to convict you of as well. Um, We're going to try to fix ourselves. Now, we all instinctively know, right, that we need help when it comes to certain needs that we have, right? If you need to sell a house... You can attempt to do it on your own, but you're much better off if you use a realtor. Uh, If your finances are a mess, you can try to figure it out on yourself, but you're much better off if you have a financial planner or financial advisor helping you. Uh, If you have cancer, I guess you could theoretically try to take care of that yourself, but you'd be much better off in the hands of a capable surgeon. 
Why is it then that when Jesus exposes our need, we think, oh, I got it. I can take care of this. But no, rather, it's like, oh, no, what I need is to be in the hands of someone who's uniquely suited and capable to do the work that I can't do. What I need is someone to be my paraclete. What I need is someone to be my advocate, my helper, my comforter, my teacher, my counselor. To teach me that, righteousness is not found in what I do, but righteousness is found in what Jesus has done. Because remember, why does Jesus go to the Father? Because his work is done. Right? Jesus doesn't go to the Father until the work that he came to do is accomplished. He goes to the Father because he's won. He goes to the Father because the work is completed. And so when he goes to the Father and he sits on the throne, he is sitting as a king that says, the work that I set out to do is complete. And we're not going to see him anymore, which is why we need the paraclete. And so Jesus sends a spirit to convict us of sin. Jesus sends a spirit in order to convict us that once we've seen our sin, that we are not able to fix it by ourselves. And then Jesus sends a spirit in order to tell us that he is ultimately going to win the story. The Holy Spirit will prove the world to be in wrong about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Uh, again, if we, if we go and we're like, okay, what's wrong with this world? man, I'm sure that we could come up with 350 different answers between all of us, right? That, that we, can, we, can, um, we can all recognize. And the reality is, right, that probably, um, more than likely, that in a room of this size, that there will be some pretty strong disagreements, right, on what the things that are wrong with this world. Um, but Jesus is asking us to go a little bit deeper and say, hey, the solution to the wrongs of this world ultimately happens because I have conquered the enemy. The, the, the final story, the end of the story that is this, that the ascended Jesus is not a far-off king, but that he is a nearby king, and he is telling you, I have conquered it all for you. The end of the story is a new heaven and a new earth. The end of the story is Jesus making us new because he is making everything new. This is what the risen and ascended Jesus does is he sends his spirit to you. He's not a far off king on some other side of the world that hopefully you get to see one day, maybe you get a picture of him on the mantle. He is a very present king because he has sent his spirit to you in order to be with you, in order to be the paraclete, in order to be the helper that you need. And that then through us, through us, right, he then does that work for other people. Right, that part of what Jesus says is that you, that he will testify about me. And then he says, you also will testify about me. You also will be witnesses of this. Well, how are you and I going to be witnesses of this? We're witnesses of this because we've experienced it. Where we're witnesses of this because this is, what, this is our story. This is what's happened in our lives. Jesus loves you. 
He loves you so much that he left. He loves you so much that he left because he knew that it is better for you and me to have the Spirit, his presence with us 24-7, every day of our lives from the moment that we have faith in Christ all the way until the end, where we won't need just the presence of the Spirit, right? Because we're going to get it all. Uh, But to get more about that, you have to come next week when we look at the second half of Romans 8 and we see what it means that the Spirit is a deposit of our adoption as sons. I'm using that word really intentionally. Uh, You got to come next week to find out why. All right? Let's pray. Uh, Gracious God, uh, we thank you that uh, in your wisdom and in the wisdom of your son and this big plan that you have uh, had since the beginning of time, since the before the beginning of time for our salvation, uh, that at the heart of that was that your son would go uh, back to heaven as a victorious king and that as that victorious king, that he would send your spirit, that you both would send the spirit Uh, to be for us uh, a comforter, uh, an advocate, a helper, a teacher, uh, to provide the things that we need in order to live as your people, to convict us uh, and the world of our need of you, of our inability to fix it ourselves, and that ultimately you will establish and make all things new. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, for sending your spirit to teach us and help us to see these things. Amen.